0: Thank you so much, Chris and Allison. Thank you all so much. Your Bible's open to what book? Oh, come on! (laughs) Ephesians. Do you remember I said we're going to be in Ephesians for a while? So your Bible's open to Ephesians. By the way, you don't want to do it now, but you want to go read starting there in Acts 19 and... Acts 19 and 20 give us a good commentary about what went on in uh, at the church at Ephesus. Can somebody tell me how long Paul stayed in Ephesus? Three years. Longer than anywhere else. The next closest would be at Corinth, where he stayed over 18 months at one time. But um, So Ephesians chapter 1, by the way, your Bible's open. I, it's interesting to me... Um, where it says the sons of Skeva, right? It's, in, it's an incredible story. And uh, I asked Robbie to read that um, because w- several reasons. One is, if you notice when, when you're reading there, and it's Acts 19, he just says, I'll paraphrase it, but he says, Jesus whom Paul preaches. They had, I want you to think about that. These... These sons of Skeva, these prophets, these pseudo-prophets, they had no relationship with Christ. Paul, I mean Jesus whom Paul preaches, that's about all they knew about Him. And they're going to invoke His name. And remember what the demons said. And you know, I think about a lot of people I'm around and I know over the course of ministry, whether it's here or other places, they may know the name of Jesus. They may invoke His name on occasion. But they don't know Him as Lord. Lord and Savior. If you were going to read about the doctrine of salvation, you would want to find that in Ephesians 1 and 2. And I didn't have the intention to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. We're going to talk about salvation this morning. So your Bibles open there to Ephesians chapter one, and and I want to mention to you before I read the text. Um, Paul stayed by God's providence. If you go and read Acts nineteen and twenty, you will find that Paul stayed the three years he stayed there. The gospel and I mentioned this last week in passing, but you can read it literally, because Paul stayed there and he preached the gospel over the course of three years, the gospel spread to all of that part of Asia Minor. As a matter of fact, um, the churches that Jesus wrote His letter to, the seven churches of Revelation 2 and 3, the first one is Ephesus, and it's the mail route in the Roman Empire. There's, it starts with Ephesus, ends with Laodicea. It was the way the mail in all those churches, we know those people heard the gospel. In all of those places, one reason they heard it is because of what Paul did by staying in Ephesus for so long. Because I knew we were going to sing the chorus, we are the body of Christ. I love that song. Don't you? I love it. Uh, we've sang it for several years. I know many of our children know it by heart. I've had several of our children sing it to me because they, we've sang it for so long over the course of time, they've memorized it. But because we were going to sing that song, I sat down and wrote this a couple of days ago. And this does lead into Ephesians 1. It says, Welcome to RBC, Redland Baptist Church. Today is the Lord's Day, August the 28th, 2022. We have assembled together today as Christ called out ones, His church. That's what the word church means called out ones. We have assembled together today as Christ called out ones, His church, and His body, of which He alone is the head. Therefore, as the body of Christ, we have gathered today and every Lord's Day to acknowledge and render to the Father and Son the glory, praise, and worth He alone deserves. When the church worships together, We also give our most earnest attention to the authority of God's holy word. The Bible must be the only foundation upon which we build, and the Lord Jesus Christ, our perfect cornerstone. Yes, my dear brothers and sisters, we are the body of Christ. This gathering is not a meeting, but rather the church of the living God, wherein her members have assembled. For we are many, but we still are just one body in Christ. Folks, what a massive responsibility we have as the church of the living God. The very Do you understand the theology? 115 times the word church shows up. Almost 100 times it's talking about me and you in what we call a local expression, local church. We are the body of Christ. Many members, but it says we're members one of another. One head, we make one body. And we're going to bear witness to a lost world about the lordship of Jesus Christ. I have to apologize. Not only am I losing my voice. I don't feel good. I know I don't look good. So, I heard that. Whoever said that. I'm not deaf. So... um, So just hang in there with me. Let's pick up at Ephesians chapter one. Now, my whole focus is going to be verse uh, eleven following, and that's what we read last week. But uh, let me pick up at verse three, uh, Ephesians one. I want to talk to you this morning really about part of the doctrine of the doctrine of salvation. Uh, Two words you know, well, by the way, if you 're looking at your Bibles, now some scholars do this I, I heard I saw one did this, and so i 'm going to kind of use his his intro uh, there's you the word according uh, he calls it the accordion passage, like the accordion, but i 'm not talking about an accordion i 'm talking about according, so what you look before I read the whole thing. I want you to notice the doctrines that are mentioned by the word according to. Look at it. Look at verse Mine are highlighted so I can read it. At the end of verse 5, it says, According to the purpose of His will. In verse 7, so according to the purpose of His will. Now we're talking about salvation. At the end of verse 7 according to the riches of His grace. Okay. So salvation is about His will, right? The purpose of God's will to save in Christ. According to the riches of His grace, it's all grace. We, he's going to talk about that again in Ephesians chapter 2. Part of verse 9 says, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose which He set forth in Christ. If you were like me, you can be highlighting according, 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 according. Verse 11 says, In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things, according to the counsel of His will. And then you can go all the way down to verse 19 and it says, And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe according to the working of His great might. So there's about six or seven accordings to, and really all those accordions so to speak, summarize what God does in order to save somebody. It's based on His will, it's based on His power, it's based on His grace. Now, something else about the book of Ephesians, of course I told you that it possibly could be a circular letter, is is the two phrases, in Him or in Christ. Those appear 32 times in the book of Ephesians. Really, this is more, but let's say 32 times it's mentioned in the book of Ephesians that if God saves us, it's about saving us in Christ. That you and I are in Christ. We were talking about this in Sunday school. One of the things that happens in salvation is God adopts us. And He adopts us in Christ. We... We are His adopted children because we're naturally descendants of the first Adam. And in order to be descendants of the last Adam, we have to be born again. And we are adopted when we're saved and and we get everything Christ earned as adopted children. So we are in Him. Now, if you want to know every time the Bible says we're in Him, it tells us what that means that we're in it tells us here in Ephesians. So before I read the passage, I want you to flip over to Ephesians 2. Because he tells us there's three statements that are made in Ephesians 2 that tell us the benefits to us when we're in Christ, okay? So every time in Ephesians when Paul says we're in him or we're in Christ, here here's what he's telling us. And my point in telling you this is to convince some of you that knowing about Jesus is not knowing Jesus. There is a huge difference between being aware of who He is and being in Him. Okay? I, since I was 16, I have been in Christ. And Christ has been in me. Many of you have a birth date. You're born the second time. You have another birth date, and you could say the same thing. When I was 35, when I was 20, when I was 60, and I'm in Christ, and Christ is in me. But I'm telling you, there are people here today that may not can say that. They may know who Jesus is, they may invoke his name, they may have some religion. But you're not saved, and we're going to talk about that briefly. But look at Ephesians two; he's going to tell us. And and remember, a lot I I share. Sometimes I share languages with you, but this this prefix—it's a prefix in the language, Bible language. It's, It's I use it a lot. Called soon. It's pronounced soon. If you looked at it in English, it's spelled s y n. It's what it looks like s y n. It's pronounced soon. And the word soon means together with, okay? Well, let me give you, He tells us the three things that happen when we get saved that we are together with Christ. So this is what happens when we're in Him. It's verse 5 and verse 6 of Ephesians 2, okay? Verse 5 says, Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive Together with Christ. So being in Christ means I'm alive in Him. He gave me the life that Christ has. Made me alive with Christ. So I'm intimately connected to the living Christ. So that's how God passed, brought me from death to life. His life for mine. So I am alive together with Christ. That's number one. Number two is the first part of verse six. And raised us up with Him. Again, the word with is the word soon. So I'm I'm in Him. And so where is Christ? He's been ascended to the right hand of the Father. I am in Him. So so technically, judicially, and, and from the big picture of salvation in the mind of God, I'm with Christ. It says... He says, and raised us up with him. So I've been raised with Christ. Uh, And so what's happened to me spiritually, right, is going to one day happen to me physically. I will physically be raised. But right now, spiritually, I've been raised. So spiritually, you and I, those of us that are saved, we've been brought from death to life. We've been spiritually we were dead we've been brought back to life by the power of Christ and we've been raised with Him so that's the second thing so when it says you're in Christ okay these are the things it's talking about okay we've been given life together with Him We're raised, and then look what He says the third time right past that one and we're seated it says and seated us with Him in the heavenly places so when we're in Christ we're saved resurrected We're given life. We've passed from death to life spiritually. And then the Bible says, we're with Him and we're seated in the heavenlies. Now, you know what this means. This means that our residence is where? There. And this is why Paul's going to do this in Ephesus in the book of Ephesians, and he does it elsewhere. He calls us aliens and strangers in this world. And the reason he does that Is because our home is not here. Is it? By the way, if you're in Christ, you're these things because of Him, not because of you, right? Is Christ ever going to change that? No. So there's groups of people that think that can change based on how you live. The fallacy in that is they, they have to diminish what Christ has accomplished. But the reason some people believe that, that you can lose it based on how you live. Because to me it's influenced by the millions, well, millions, let's just say hundreds of thousands of people that claim to know him but don't know him and live like they want to. And it, it humiliates his name. So in the mind of some, they got to think, well, they have to be losing their salvation. But it's not ours to lose. And this is why, you know, in Baptist, I was listening to a theologian this week, and this is what they say about Baptist. They say, oh, you guys believe in once saved, always saved. Right? Do we? Yes, we do. But it's because God does the saving, right? And all we do in sharing the gospel is we nominate people. I nominate people for heaven. But God's the one that's going to save them, right? Not me. Because salvation is, you know, in Christ alone, by faith alone, through grace alone, we believe that. Let me read a passage and just mention to you a little bit about salvation. By the way, before I read I'm going to pick up at verse 3, Ephesians 1, 3. If you're here today and you've never been saved, you need to listen to this. And you know if you've been saved or not. Um, if you've been born again. How can you not know that you've experienced a birth from heaven? I mean, the devil may try to convince you that there's another way, but, but you know there's no other way. There's only one name under heaven given among men whereby we must be, what? Saved. Only one name. But let me just be honest with you. Here, this is our problem. This is my problem. As a pastor and teacher, and this would be true for thousands of other Baptist pastors and teachers and, and seminary teachers and all that, is you'll hear me talk a lot about um, what we call baptismal regeneration, You know, sometimes when I'm baptizing. Because you may believe this, and, and I try to make sure that you understand there's a difference. That baptism is not what saves you, right? right? But it's an act of obedience, right? So we don't believe in baptismal regeneration. And I'll tell you that. Um, that water doesn't save. Christ is the Savior. Baptism is an act of obedience. And we argue that what makes us Baptist, and as long as I'm here, we're not going to change our name, is that baptism is the word to plunge, to dip, to immerse. So we believe baptism means you go under the water, right? So we believe that, so, but we don't believe it saves. So we, we reject baptismal generation. Now listen to me real closely. But one of our problems as Baptists, and particularly as a Southern Baptists, for years and years and years, we have promoted decisional regeneration. Now, listen to me. That you can decide for God to regenerate you. So we reject, I'm going to explain that. We reject baptismal regeneration. Oh, we know baptism doesn't save. But for many years as a Southern Baptist, Baptist people preached a decisional regeneration that you could decide. For God to save you. And the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches that God saves, not man. So, never is salvation, and you were fixing to read that, it's never in your hands. It's in His hands to give. Jesus said it several places, but one would say, He said, You didn't choose me, but I chose you. And then He says, All that the Father gives me will come to me and I'll keep them all that's John ten talking about being a shepherd so here today you know that's why sometimes bed, bed deathbed confessions are difficult for me I've been there several times they're hard because you're you, you're almost trying to convince them to make a decision you, you just don't and and salvation doesn't come by your decision it comes by the work of the Spirit in God's Word you know that well let's look at let's look at the Scriptures verse uh, 3 says blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him in love. Well, um, before Him. If you look at the Greek text, it does this. Then a new sentence. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself. As sons through Jesus Christ. Now that word predestined is interesting. It's it's two words put together. You have a prefix. It's the word before, pro, and the word horizon. Every day we see an horizon. Did you make the horizon or did God establish the horizon? The horizon has been established. That's the word predestined. God has established the plan, the horizon of salvation. Uh, Some scholars or some uh, translations translate uh, predestined the word foreordained. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. According to the purpose of his will. To the praise of. Of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. So, all the things that God does in salvation, he does through what Christ has done. That's who the beloved son. Remember, this is my beloved son. I'm well pleased. Then, another time, he said, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. In Him, we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight making known to us the mystery of His will According to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. And then look what, look what Paul says. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, The gospel of your salvation. Now folks, that never changes. This is how God saves sinners. I want you to think about this. How few people of all the people that have been regenerated. That's the word born again. That have been born again, saved, whatever word you want to use. Regenerated, born again, saved, whatever term of all the people that have been saved very few a handful got saved by seeing Jesus and hearing Jesus almost everybody's been saved by just hearing the preaching of the gospel this was god's plan he could have done miracles he could still be doing miracles in the sky something another whatever but no Faith cometh by hearing, Romans 1. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. If God saved you, if you're here and you can share a testimony that God saved you, I can guarantee you that testimony will include hearing the Gospel. Because God does not save outside of His Word. It's the Word and the Spirit that are a part of that transaction that God makes. So let's pick back up here. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, and that's the Bible, right? The gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him. You say faith, believe. You were sealed when you believed in Him. You were sealed. Here's another reason why we're... We say once saved, always saved. We call it the theological term. It's the perseverance of the saints. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee. Isn't that, isn't that comforting? Are you the guarantee of the salvation? No. Who guarantees the salvation? The Spirit. Sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. Until we get it all. That means there's more to it. Because we don't belong here. To the praise of His glorious grace in Christ Jesus. Jesus. Just share with you just hanging there with me. Um, <laughs> salvation is unmerited. That's what I want you to be convinced of today, that, that salvation is outside of you. Salvation is through the word of God, by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, by grace, without works. We know he says that in Ephesians two. The purpo- God has a purpose in salvation. And it would surprise you to know that the purpose of salvation is not to keep you out of hell, though that's a benefit. You can answer this. What is the purpose of salvation? To make you like who? Make you like his son. I mean that's what Romans 8 tells us. God planned He predestined us to be conformed to the image of His Son. That's why the Holy Spirit, the seal that's in us, is another Christ. Because the Spirit that's tabernacled in me, that's my seal, is a Spirit that also indwelt Christ. It came at His baptism. Stayed with Him His whole life. That same Spirit now indwells me. He seals me, but he, he gives me the Spirit of Christ. And so now I'm living like Christ, but one day I will be perfectly like Him. But in order for that to happen, I've got to leave this body, right? Absent in the body is present with the Lord, and so that's when He finishes. the. Tr- See, the Bible puts the transformation in, in the present tense and the future tense. I'm being transformed. Right? I'm being metamorphosed. And one day, if Christ comes in the rapture, or I die, I will be transformed. God saves you because the Father says Jesus is the firstborn among many. All of us are going to be transformed into His image. And and what this means is we'll be perfect. We won't be perfect we won't be another Jesus, but we'll be perfected. We'll, we won't sin. We won't have a sin nature. Our bodies won't be corrupt because we'll have a glory. So, so this is the purpose that he's predestined, that these are the things that are going to happen. We've we got to finish. I, I can't go on. But this, Go to the end of where I talked about the seal. In him you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And he mentions that until you get the guarantee of the inheritance, the seal, and it's used somewhere. It's used later in Ephesians, but also in Colossians. It's used as translated the down payment. He he does that in First Corinthians too. That the spirit is the down payment. Now, the down payment means that there's a whole lot more out there that's going to happen. But this down payment secures the contract. I didn't do it. God did it. God sealed me with His Spirit. And now because I've been given the down payment, everything else that's in this inheritance is going to be guaranteed to me because the Spirit has sealed me for that day. A seal was used for cargo, for contracts. I mentioned this, for contracts. And it guaranteed. Matter of fact, the word was most often used, surprisingly enough, for marriage rings, for wedding rings in the Roman world. Wedding rings. An engagement ring was a guarantee. All these things have been done for us in salvation. God planned it. God provided the way. And God has the power to change. Change. Think about this. It's the word no and no. No, 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 KNOW. No, Jesus, KNOW. No, Jesus. Or no, Jesus, NO, Jesus. No change. N O, change. No change. No Jesus. It's a fact. Am I right? Born again. No change. I mean, you've been sealed with the Spirit. No change. No Jesus. But, no change, K N O W, no change. Many of us, it's because we know Jesus. Because He changes us. We're going to talk about this more next Sunday. Let's stand. Thank you for your presence this morning. Let's pray together. Father, I think about Nicodemus. Educated, financially secure, politically popular to Israel. And you, and you said to him, as you say through the Spirit and Word to every sinner, you said face to face, you must be born again. Now, Father, for 2,000 years, through the Word and in Your pulpits and through the witness of Your people, we keep sharing with people that are in sin, lost without Jesus, You must be born again. Father, I pray that Your Word and Your Spirit will do its work. And Father, for those that are here that may not be born again, I pray that You will protect them and bring them back to hear about the good news again so that they too can be saved. We love You and we thank You for Your grace and mercy. In Christ's name, Amen. Have a great day.